Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Maven Podcast. And I'm here with my co-host today, Michelle Koshman, COO of AMB Publicity. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sarah, my dear, my stylish maven. Uh, okay, so Michi, <laughs> I'm excited for our guest today. But speaking of style, yes. I have been living in fashionably gym clothes for four months now, and I miss my runway shoes. Yes. What yes, do you do? What are you doing? Are you just in casual cute mode or are you dressing up just because that's what you're used to on a daily basis to get motivated? You know what? It it comes and goes, depends on the day, but you know, you always want to have something, add a little pizzazz, add a little bling, add some fragrance, you know, just put infusing your style. Yeah, I think it's important, especially just to have a sense of normalcy in a very unnormal new world right now. I call Absolutely. it my, I call it COVID couture. That's my new thing. Yes. And I, was, I could be in tennis shoes and a sundress or gym gear, Lulu, but at least I'll have a blowout and lip gloss as my COVID couture. But let's, hashtag COVID couture. <laughs> Love it. Speaking of couture, I am super excited to introduce our guest today, Antonio Contreras. He's a fashion historian and filmmaker, and I'm super excited that he's going to talk to us about his upcoming new project with Jean-Paul Gaultier. So, Antonio, welcome to Meet and Maven podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited. And just a quick note about sweatpants. Karl Lagerfeld said that sweatpants were the end of civilization. So I guess he was right. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was that was the pre that was the pre Prada gym gear and pre Lululemon because now we could be fashionably cute in the gym and that goes straight into day wear. Like Carbon Thirty Eight is my new like fitness guru for all things. But you know it is fashionable. But I'm going to be on the fence of couture, and we are super excited for you. Antonio, yes. up to talk about Jean-Paul Gaultier and this new huge documentary you just picked up and are making. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, you are a historian and a filmmaker all about fashion. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the business and lead us into Jean-Paul Gaultier. I got into the business by accident. Somebody came to film my house and my clothes because just like you, I adore couture. I love fashion. So I I have some really interesting pieces that I have acquired to the years. Somebody came to film my closet. And and then this film was sent to uh, the Miami International Fashion Film Festival. And it won for best film. Just like that. I had no idea what making films was about. I had no idea. I just knew that I like fashion. Celebrity? I am now jealous. (laughs) My shoe was jealous. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, to make a long story short, that happened in 2013. And then I decided, well, maybe I should start making films about fashion and use my knowledge about fashion history and our icons and the legends in the fashion world. Um, So it's been a very, very nice road. And just a couple of months ago, I linked up with uh, Tanel Bedrosainz, who is Jean-Paul Gaultier's muse. Uh, Vogue magazine talk about him last year when the Met Museum had the the Met Gala that was called Camp. So 
So they reached out to him because according to them, he's the king of camp, Tanel Bedro uh-huh. Sanz, the model. And I don't know if you remember him, but in the 90s, he wore that blue iconic dress with the bra cone and he was photographed and that photo went viral. And that actually put Jean-Paul, before, this is before Madonna. This was right. Uh, right before her Blonde Ambition tour. So that put both of them in the fashion map. So I linked up with, with Tanel. I approached him. I said, listen, I want to make a documentary about your life. And I want to I wanna talk about the history of Jean-Paul Gaultier. So luckily, now we are in weekly calls. I'm very excited, very excited about this new project. Wow, it's exciting. Tell us, so what are you doing with the project? I mean, are you, you, are you creating it? You're working with Jean-Paul Gaultier's Muse. What, tell us what the project's about and what your steps you're taking right now on this. Well, what I want to do with this film is talk about the importance of models in fashion. Because now it's all about celebrities. Not that there's, not that there's anything wrong with having celebrities represent a brand or a label. But before, like in the 90s, it was the models who made the label. I mean, mm-hmm. Linda Evangelista, Naomi Campbell, uh, they represent Versace, they represent Claude Montana, Chanel. And now it's more about the actress, like Penelope Cruz and Chanel, right? And so Tanel represents Jean-Paul Gaultier. And the two of them actually are super close and they still work after 30-something years. They're still working together. Tanel is still a very active model. And that's what I want to talk about, like how a model can impact the fashion world. And Tanel also took the fashion world to a new limit because before in the 80s, 90s, we have no idea about gender identity. And Tanel pushed the envelope, making, he was the first model to ever wear men's couture. Yeah, men's couture is actually a word. I didn't know this. I just mm-hmm. learned this recently. So there's not only women's couture, there's men's couture. And Tanel is the first model, the first man ever to wear men's couture. So I want to focus on that. I want to talk about his influence in fashion now that I think is very relevant when we're talking about gender equality, when we're talking about all all these new horizons that are very important in fashion. Tanel was doing it 30 years ago. When is this documentary going to be out? If you could talk about it and where will people be able to see it? I'm planning to finish it by May. Of 2021. We've been doing a lot of phone calls and phone video calls that I have been recording. I want to go to Paris. (laughs) I don't know how. (laughs) I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. don't know how. (laughs) Like, believe me, I already searched ways of going to Paris. I'm going to wait. You know, I want to, I'm going to do it when it's safe. Yeah. But definitely the the film, uh, uh, it needs to be done by 2021. And we, we actually have a world premiere at the La Jolla International Fashion Film Festival. And Due to COVID, and COVID has bring horrible things to this world, but also very positive things to this world, where now filmmakers are making their films accessible online. So you don't have to wait to go to a theater to see a premiere. Now you can actually go online and look at the film. So that's what I'm planning to do. I'm going to make it accessible for everybody because I, I think it's very important. 
Yeah, I love the fact that you're one of the people we've talked to on our podcast in the past few weeks. I know Michelle and I've had a few of these interviews that there's so much good that comes out of this pandemic and this unknown that we're all living through. And I just love that you're taking your creativity and understanding you could reach more people. You could do what you want to do because you're not relying on physical theaters and stuff. You, you could reach a wider audience. And I love that you're seeing the positive out of all this unknown. Now, you've also done the Frida Kahlo a documentary, I believe last you got an award for it, A Nothing Sacred. Was that actually out and accessible to people or where are you at with that? And tell us about that. I mean, because that's really combining art and fashion all in one, which I thought was very exciting. And you won an award for it. That is correct. We got a Best Documentary at the International Fashion Film Awards in 2019. It was a very, very short documentary I wanted to focus more in Frida. Everybody talks about Frida's personal life. Everybody talks about her art. I mean, it's unarguably, you know, this is the most uh, successful woman ever in art. I mean, there's there's Mm -hmm. three very recognizable images in the world, and those are Che Guevara, Frida Kahlo, and Mickey Mouse. I mean, look look at the impact that this woman did you has. See Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it, this is all true. I did all this research. You know, like uh, Frida Kahlo is that her image is that amazing and that recognizable and that strong. So wow. I wanted, uh, but also Frida loved fashion. Frida was a woman who wouldn't step out of the house until she had her lipstick, her powder, and her eyebrows and mustache were groomed. Uh, this awesome. is this is true, completely true. She was friends, she was friends with Elsa Scaparelli. Elsa Scaparelli designed shoes for her. So Frida Kahlo was very aware of what she had and she used it. So that's what I wanted to focus in this documentary. I didn't I, I of course I had to talk about her art and a little bit about her personal life, but I wanted to focus more in impact. I mean, she was an influencer before we even knew what an influencer was. Absolutely. You know, she, is was, still. she has influenced generations. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. you can recognize when somebody is going for the freedom look, right? I mean, like immediately it's, it, it speaks to you immediately. It's visual, you know? So I'm, I'm very happy that this documentary got recognition I'm Mexican, and as a Mexican, I felt the need to tell that that story. You know, and that, yeah, Frida was all these things, but she was also a very important woman in fashion. It's been more than 50 years after, after her death, and people are still talking about her. And her paintings are still right. selling for $3.2 million, you know? So she has a huge impact. And then to answer your question about the film, the film is available. I made it uh, public. Anybody can watch it. I'll send you the link after we finish this conversation. And because I also believe that people need to watch. Where can people see this? Because I mean, I know we're on a podcast and, you know, and we'll make definitely make sure that everybody knows about the link, but just for our listeners, where is it? Are you on the streaming video circuit or are you only on a downloadable on Amazon? Where can they find all this? I'm on Vimeo, on Vimeo. Are you familiar with that platform, Vimeo? And it's under my name, Antonio Contreras. And if you type in nothing sacred, the film will come up. Wonderful. Now, because it seems like you're really at that intersection of art and fashion. And you say you're a, you're a fashion historian and documentary. 
kind of explain what that means. I mean, I know you have a lot of knowledge in, about historical fashion and you're combining the art to this. Give us a bit about your upbringing and how you kind of ended up in this intersection with these. I wanted to be a fashion designer. But before I went into fashion school, I went to art school. I studied at La Esmeralda in, in Mexico City. Uh, and actually one of Frida's uh, pupils uh, was my teacher. So that's what I got, got wow. a lot of fir- stories from Frida Kahlo firsthand. You know, because a lot of Frida Kahlo stuff is tainted and it's uh, manipulated. And I feel very lucky because uh, Edgar is his name. He really gave me like a very close perspective of Frida. So uh, so I studied art at La Esmeralda and then uh, I studied fashion design. And um, in Mexico, I moved to California in 1992 and I, I went to the San Francisco Art Institute. The historian part is it came through the years. I started working in retail and I was very, very lucky to meet like wonderful designers, you know, like Oscar de la Renta, Ralph Rucci. I I met a lot of really influential people and they, they, I don't know why they saw something in me and they told me stories and they taught me and they educated me in what is fashion. And, um, and I always find it fascinating. So a lot, a lot was firsthand encounters with fashion designers, but like 80% of it was me being very curious about it and devouring books of fashion and history forever. <laughs> wow. I think it's interesting because like, you know, look at the history of fashion, like, you know, you look at Jean-Paul Gaultier, Alexander McQueen, Christian Lacroix, you look at some of the work Versace, these guys did years ago, and again, Oscar de la Renta, and then you look at the structure and the format, the colors and I just think everything where we are today is always taken from these great fashion designers in history moving forward. And I just feel like the structure, some of these classic looks of these designers, is just they've just done a tremendous job setting the stage and setting the boundaries for fashion. So, I mean, is there anybody new up and coming that you like or you think could kind of raise the bar compared to one of these great fashion designers have done in our past? Or do you think it's just an evolution of taking what they've done and making it more modern? I believe in moving forward. I, I, I do look at the 90s in particular. And I just think that that was like the height of fashion, right? When like uh, we barely knew the internet and all these great things were happening. And, and this is before fashion became so global. And at, the, uh, you know, at your fingertips. Now, I mean, now we can shop sitting down at home. Who, who would have thought of doing that? You know, before it was like a production to go out and to go to <laughs> Saks Fifth Avenue of Neiman Marcus and you will get dressed up and you will meet with your friends, right? And, and, and you will do all those things. Now you just sit in your, in your living room and buy whatever you want. So I look back at the nineties and I think it was like the height of fashion. And I can imagine that people, uh, you know, some of the older people that I know, they were like, no. It was the 50s. No, it was the 60s. No, it was the 70s. I think that every era has something really good to offer. Sure. And like I said, I, I look forward. I, I like to look forward. I like to look at the future. And I think that what is happening now too is, is really valuable. You know, like now we know that Alessandro Michele from Gucci just decided that there's going to be no seasons anymore for Gucci. I mean, imagine that, like the impact that that, mm. that has, you know, COVID changed everything. You know, Mark Jacobs has decided that he's not going to produce in 2021. Uh, I think these are incredible things that are happening, you know, like, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I just think I think it's just it's interesting because, you know, I've talked to a few of our friends in the design industry from Michael Kors and Chanel. And I just, they're, they're the changes they're making tremendous changes because nobody's in store shopping. And I just think it's, I think it's hard. I think, I, I think the retail market is going to have a tough time because all the fashion shows are being canceled. They've got to go to market. And I think it's, really tough and to see the changes that they're not doing seasons or fashions is it just going to be okay what next year here's all the lines that are coming out are they going to go back to seasonal again i don't know if there's an unknown there or if there's a plan just to get through covid and the pandemic do they get back on their feet because what we understand from the retail reports is that mcm or mca mcm is like five big stores in u.s Gucci. And I think there's one other that literally in the short amount of time between our first opening, at least in LA in June, July, before we got shut down temporarily, they have killed their retail. Yes. They, they doubled in their budget of their retail sales. They made in two months, an entire year, which was more than they did last year pre COVID. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it has, it, it's very sad what is happening. I mean, I have a lot of people who are in fashion directly, uh, people who are like, they're sewing the garments or people in the, in the uh, makeup industry. Everybody's hurting really, really bad. However, there's a little bit of hope that, uh, do you hear about Hermes in China? That the first week that they opened, they made what they made in one year. So there's still that right. need of yeah. people to consume, to buy fashion. So I think once we're like in a couple of months, we're going to recuperate, I hope. <laughs> fashion was going to die a little bit. I mean, let's face it. It was already kind of like going down pre-COVID. And I think this yeah. just killed it. I mean, look at the magazines. I don't see Nobody this was buying down. magazines anymore. How do you see it as going down? I mean, the economy obviously affects everything. There's a few big designs that just killed it, made millions in two months only. I never really saw it as going down pre-COVID. I just think it's more about reset and evolve. And this is one of the things that I love about you because I'm a texture girl. So like the Chanel tweeds and the silks, there's texture in art and fashion. So I, I get the love of taking the art and the fashion, combining it on the texture. But I just feel like things weren't going down. I just felt like they were just resetting to come out, the comeback. You know, at the end of this year, it's just COVID maybe helped give them some time to stop and rethink the new lines coming out. But I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm just, I maybe this is my... Opinion. I mean, in, yep. yeah, well, in, imagine that people were producing like how many collections in one year. I mean, and this is what happened to Galliano when he was working for Dior and he had that breakdown. He was producing nine collections a year. So I think the man was too much and it was it was going too fast. This in a way helped, like you said, I'm going to use your own word, reset a little bit yeah. and be like, okay, maybe we don't need to do nine. Maybe we need to do one. Maybe we need to do three. The good things that I'm seeing that is happening is, for instance, fashion illustration is back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nobody had mm -hmm. done fashion illustrations since the 60s, you know, since the 70s. Right. Uh, Antonio Lopez and Thierry Perez. Nobody was interested in fashion illustration. And all of a sudden, if you look at your Instagram, uh, your social media, every designer from Valentino to Gucci, everybody's Pucci, they're all doing fashion illustration because they couldn't get a model during those months. 
to come and take a photograph. So what do they do? They hire artists to do those pieces and show it as, as a collection, which I, I had to do that with the movie, the documentary that I made in 2020. Mark Jacobs was supposed to dress all the models for the, the, the documentary that I was going to make. That didn't happen. So what did I do? I went to my studio. I illustrated the entire fashion show. I animated that fashion show. And that's what I sent as a film. <laughs> Yeah, but that's, that's where fashion truly becomes art. Isaac Zanu is one of the most amazing artists. He used to do all the um, Bendel girls. And he did stuff for Chanel, Lancome. He's one of my favorite artists and everything he does looks like except off for runway, but it's so hand, it's drawn, it's painted by hand. It's just, he does amazing work. So for me, that fashion does become art. I know Bagley, Mishka, we spoke with them last year in spring to do a fashion show we were producing and they didn't do it because they shifted from the gowns to do a swimsuit line and everything. So I, you know, I, I think their whole line kind of got stalled a little bit because of this as well. So I think it's going to yeah. be see who's going to come back out very soon here. But, you know, I saw the thing and I think Michelle, I sent this to you. I don't know if I, in an email a while ago that Louis Vuitton and is, at the end of every year, they are burning all of their bags and luggage and products because they don't want anything being resold. They don't want them. Yeah, I remember the that. Market. Did you read about that? Too, where they're burning millions of dollars of bags. And my opinion, yes, I remember that. I protecting know. the brand. But but you know what? But yeah. you know what, Antonio, you did bring out a very interesting thing about how art is shifting. So, you know, with fashion illustrations being back, people are now consuming fashion in different mediums because they are limited right from COVID. So that's why I think your films are bringing a different kind of impact. You're, you're bringing culture awareness in a new palatable art form that people want to consume. And after the Spanish flu, they say that that partly contributed to the roaring twenties. Everybody wanted to come out. They wanted excess. They wanted to live. So this is an interesting time period. Sarah, as you say, to reset for the industry and go, okay, what are we going to release and launch and introduce when we can all get back out there and live. Well, it's also, everybody's got to rely more on lean on tech to survive through this. Absolutely. In order to be sustainable is a lean on tech. So the fact that the fashion industry is leaning towards the illustrations, the drawings to showcase across different platforms, I do think there's going to be a better comeback for those designers who are utilizing that tech to get to a wider net of audiences absolutely, and purchases than just relying on runway shows, which is not going to happen for a while. So the virtual side of this is going to be a big step forward as everybody evolves out of this pandemic, especially for the fashion industry. Cause I think, We've lost, so spring, well, I, yeah, I mean, we were able, we missed fall, winter, we're going to miss yes. summer. I'm like, we just missed an entire year of fashion. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, another thing that is very important and, and I have noticed that is happening, that things are a little bit more meaningful. And I'm going to explain myself. When the red carpets, they used to be about, who are you wearing? You know, what are you, you know, who are you wearing? And they didn't even care about who the stars were at some point. They just were interested in what they were wearing, what jewelry, what gown and everything. And uh, just watching Venice, you know, Venice has been the first film festival that has happened after COVID and they went right. live at 20% capacity, but they went live. So the red carpet was more about 
who are you and what are you doing now? And how do you come out of COVID? Which I think is great because you're not only talking about the pieces that you're wearing, but you're wearing, you're, you're talking about the individual behind those pieces, which is something that I think at some point we start losing. We start going too fast in this world. And now it's maybe like a, let's go back and talk a, a little bit more about who you are and what you're, because ultimately clothes are, are an expression. You know, I mean, look at Madonna. Madonna was this, is, is still an, a huge icon, but the way she dressed represent what she was trying to do. You know, how she was pushing the envelope. And right. I think at some point we start like forgetting about that, you know, and, and, and now like just seeing Tilda Sweden come at, at the Venice Film Festival and, and talk about who she is and what she's doing and why she's wearing Balenciaga, why she was wearing Chanel. I think you're looking more at the individuals now and personalities and the message that you have. I think that's because this brand loyalty, because everybody wants the backstory. The only way to get that. Right. It's all about experiential uh, marketing and exposure and the backstory. It makes you authentic and makes you, makes you accessible. And that backstory of why you're wearing a certain look or, you know, whether it's Balenciaga, Chanel, Gucci, Prada, whether it's Louboutin shoes, you have a reason why that you're out of affinity and emotional attachment or backstory to. And I think that's going to actually be a better play than just who are you? What movie were you in? Because people want to relate to you of why you're, you wear what you wear because everybody has a personal style. That's really an emotional connection of some level of why they yes. wear it. So to share that backstory on the red carpet is a tremendous move to actually become a real person on the red carpet in those clothes. And actually, I think that's a great way for these designers to be pushing that message out. I mean, it sounds bad to push your lines out and to use these red carpets, but they've used red carpets to showcase their looks anyways. But to hear that yes. backstory of somebody big is going to give you more brand loyalty. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it has a lot to do with, I mean, think about it. You, you just mentioned it. You're representing the brand. You know, why are you wearing Chanel? What is behind Chanel? What did Coco Chanel actually stand for? You know, so I, I think it's a, it's a, we're going back to that representing the brand, representing who you're wearing because clothes, I mean, clothes say everything about you. Somebody told me, I can't remember who told me like the first thing that speaks to you from a person is the way they dress is the mm-hmm. first thing before they even open their mouth is the mm-hmm. way they're dressed. And I mean, it sounds superficial, but it's not. I mean, think about it is you are making a decision on how you want to look. And well, that is the way you're represented. Yeah. It's your impression. Yeah. It's like you never have a second chance to make a first impression. I get that. And perception is reality when it comes to stuff. And I think a lot, going back to your point, I think a lot of these big designs, the faces and that they choose every year to be the face of their brand. I think there's a common DNA of who that you know, Gigi Hadid, some of the, you know, Bella, some of these amazing models and runway faces, their core DNA of who they are is really aligned with the designers of what they want to emulate of the work they put into their brands. So I think that's going to be more evident than it ever has been, you know, at least coming through COVID and getting to the end of it. Yeah. And, you know, going back to uh, what Michelle was saying about like what happened after the Spanish flu, I heard the same thing, you know, like I think fashion is going to be like next year is going to be crazy and super creative. And I mean, you're already seeing it like 
a lot of us have been in our living rooms <laughs> in our houses for six <laughs> months and we just want to go out like today i'm like i'm dressing up i'm dressing it's, up i'm doing this i'm doing this and i'm going all out i don't care <laughs> you're great. just looking for an opportunity to to do this and it's I, fun. I think, I think that's the big issue with most people. They've been at home. We don't have red carpets. We don't have industry events. We don't have things to go to. So I just think, you know, what I don't want to see is everybody lose their motivation. And I know it's hard. You can't get a manicure a blowout. You know, you don't want to go shopping because, you know, people may not be working or they're worried about finances to COVID or they don't know where to wear stuff. But we're going to get through this. We're going to get over this. And I think that, it wipes the slate clean of having a certain persona that you have to be in this color. You have to be in that little black dress. I think it gives us the freedom to be more creative, to express who we are. And we should be excited to have a non-judgmental platform to come yeah. out the way we want to with fashion and personality than just following society code where the norm has always been a certain way up until now. Right. And Sarah, a little bit ago, you mentioned about that emotional connection. We know clothing is practical, but fashion is very much emotional. And so yes. during this time, we're appreciating things that we didn't appreciate before. We're looking at things differently and valuing different things. And Antonio, you made me think how Frida was inspired by the nature of Mexico and the artifacts of Mexico. And that came through in her emotional fashion choices, right? And her art. So I think now we're also going to see that same thing. We've all come to appreciate much more valuable things during this year. And it's probably going to be reflected in the fashion choices we make when we all get out. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and just from this conversation, I'm getting excited. I'm like, yes, Curious. this is going this is, <laughs> yeah. to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to yeah. be fabulous once we get out of this. I think it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, everybody's going to adapt to the new working at home after this and just being a little bit safer. We're going to learn to be more selfless to ourselves and others when we have colds, when people are sick. And no others. I do. I, but I, I just think it's going to give us a little bit more edge to say, you know what? I wasn't going to wear that black Roberta Cavalli dress with all the tulle and lace, but now I'm going to put on a little hot pink t-shirt, knot it up in the back, wear it over that with high top. I mean, it's just, it's going to give us <laughs> that whole creativity to actually be who you are. And I mean, I'm excited because, you know, we just, Michelle and I run in the PR industry and entertainment. Michelle's done so many red carpets. So I think that our closet and our shoes are screaming let us out. So yeah. I'm I, so I am overly excited. Totally. Back in five, they've got a lot of pent up energy in, in those it's closets. Like, <laughs> it's like literally, I've gone from five inch runway shoes on a, any given day, which is all I wore, to like tennis shoes, cute ones. But I just think the idea that we are going to get back out there, we're going to have the, the like the world is going to be our runway, no matter what we do, where we go. We're going Absolutely. to be pride and who we are, what we look like. I mean, not even just the clothes. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to wear glasses. They want to be in contact. But like, you know, I don't wear glasses that once for readers that are so cute on, but I think it's embracing <laughs> everything about what you have. I'll say you should embrace your glasses, Sarah. Uh, I've yeah, done it and you you'll love it. You go cute in your glasses all day long. So you always get, but it's just, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I just think this is, they always, I always used to tag, you know, the world is my runway. I think literally the world is our runway, no matter what. It is. As long as you, long as you 
can showcase who you are. And I don't care if you're going to Starbucks on this one or running errands. You want to go in a pair of heels and do on the makeup and look like you just walked out of a magazine. Do it because we've do it. so much time being at home in, you know, not sweats, but cute gym gear and everything. It's time to get out. And I just think we're just waiting for the safety to slowly get back out to where we were before, but just better people, better humans, just more aware of where we are coming back out there. I mean, and, and it's happening. I mean, you can see it. People like, you know, like the, uh, the models look different than they looked 20 years ago. You know, we have right. representation now. Every person of every age and every color now uh, has been added to the conversation of fashion. And this was happening already. It, you know, it, it was something that was due to happen. But right now, it's happening even more, you know, and it, yeah, I, I am very happy to see it. It's more acceptable. Like, you know, we, I, okay. One of the models that I love just because she's so unconditionally, you know, everybody's healthy is beautiful is Ashley Graham has looked stunning in some of the work she's been shooting yes. that's coming out. And I just think it's that people shouldn't be afraid. They should just feel free to be, I mean, you are beautiful. Everybody's beautiful. Healthy is beautiful. And I think it's people are starting to embrace the red lips with a pair of tennis shoes. And they still, like you said, first impressions look polished. And I just, I think it's going to be amazing when we all are let loose again, back out into the wild <laughs> to be free to wear what we want. But um, let me ask you a question. Okay, I'm going to sound like a Vanity Fair magazine right now. But <laughs> if you were able to sit down with any fashion designer for dinner, who would your top two favorite guests be? Three. Give me your top three favorites. Dead or alive or doesn't matter. Dead or alive. Doesn't matter. Okay. Halston. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier mm-hmm. and Christian Lacroix. Oh, I love Christian Lacroix. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 okay. yes. Lacroix, Gaultier and McQueen are my three favorites. So, McQueen, McQueen was a genius. Uh, he was, he was, he wasn't just a fashion artist. He was an artist. He, uh, his passion and his personality and everything he touched. I, I love how he always said the illusion, the illusion. Yeah. Fashion is an illusion. Art is an illusion. He always referred to everything as an illusion. Yeah. He was, he was such an amazing, so I, ahead of his time. I COVID some of the dresses I have from him every time I find one. So you're, you've been on the runway, you've been in film. What do we have to look forward to from Antonio Contreras in the next year or so? In 21, what do we have to look forward to besides your Jean-Paul Gaultier documentary? I want, I want to show at the Oscars. <laughs> mm. I want, the virtual I want, Oscars. <laughs> the virtual Oscars. I think I'm going to have to wait until 2022. No, I think I would like to keep making meaningful films about fashion. You know, I want to, I want to tell the stories that people are not very familiar with. I I, I was going to say, I want to educate, but it's such a pretentious word. I want to just tell the untold stories. Yes. On the untold stories, the unknown stories that, that we want to hear, you know, like I was telling you about Gautier. And actually, you know, when we were mentioning about uh, all these different looks and different people bring now uh, into the fashion conversation, Gautier was doing it 30 years ago. He was bringing into his runway women of every shape, age, and color. He was doing it 30 years ago. So uh, yeah, anyway, I want to keep talking about the untold stories of fashion. 
Yeah, and I, I love that Michelle said, you know, it's the impact that's important. And, you know, do you feel like Gianni Versace was just overdone? Because I feel we have such tremendous designers and artists in our history that people really don't tell that backstory the right way, the truth, the beauty and passion behind who these human beings were. Is there anybody special that you would like to tell their story, tell the narrative, bring their voice out? Patrick Kelly. Patrick Kelly was, he wasn't the first, he was the first American couturier in Paris. He died in 1991, complications with AIDS. And imagine, he was the first couturier, American couturier in Paris. He was launching his couture line. If his life hadn't been cut so short, I wonder what this guy will be and what he will be doing. Betty Davis, her last photograph, she was wearing Patrick Kelly. I mean, this guy, I would love to do more research about Patrick Kelly. Fashion icons. Definitely. Okay, so Antonio, I seriously, I think I'm so in love with you right now on the couture. Thank you. Fashion BFF. This is fashion. This is runway. This is my whole world that I love to death. Is there anything, you know, before we kind of wrap here that you want to let us know? I mean, how can people find you if they want to contact you? Yeah, I'm super, super accessible. I love social media. Believe it or not, the people, the most important people that I have reached in my life has been through social media. Pat Cleveland is a fan. She loves what I do. She started following me on social media. Tanel Bidrosans. So we ha- I have really important people following me on social media. I love social media. So people can find me on social media. My name is Antonio Contreras. The second last name is Avianz, which will make, like, if you type Avianz. Can you Avianz, spell that just for all of our listeners? So they can find you? Yes, it's A, A as an apple, V as in Victor, I, A as an apple, N as in Nancy, C as in cat, E as in ecstasy, Avians. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Vimeo, Instagram, Facebook. Perfect. Fantastic. And if anybody has any, any amazing stories they want me to tell, please reach out because I'm always looking for content. Good. That's, this is amazing. Michi, any last red carpet words of wisdom from you? I'm um, just ready to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to get out there. I think we're I'm, taking a show shopping. I think we have a shopping excursion live podcast from the runway. Absolutely. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Antonio, thank you so much for your time today. Well, we did totally appreciate it. It's been tremendous talking to you and very educated. We definitely want to have you back down the road to talk more once you get going with the Jean-Paul Gaultier project as well. But so for now, we're going to call it a wrap. This is Sarah Moe with Access Entertainment, Meeting Maven with my co-host, Michelle Koshman at AMB Publicity. And I want to thank Antonio Contreras for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.